nervous about that run in the booth and then making our way down here. Uh, but I'm really glad to be here this morning, Journey. Um, and I want to begin with reading our scripture for today's teaching. The text will be on the screen for most of the time, um, so you can follow along with me there. He is the image of God, the invisible one, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in the heavens and on earth, things we can see and things we cannot, thrones and dominions, rulers and powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is ahead prior to all else. And in him all things hold together. And he himself is supreme, the head, over the body, the church. He is the start of it all, the firstborn from realms of the dead. For in him all of the fullness of God was glad to dwell. And through him to reconcile all to himself making peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, things on earth, and also things in the heavens. So that's good stuff, right? I mean, these five verses we've read are very much our gospel. The superiority and centrality of Jesus is the meat and potatoes of these verses of scripture here. And the thing is, I think most of us, if not all of us sitting here, don't have to argue with that. I mean, we can think and kind of agree that, yeah, Jesus is good. Jesus is supreme. He is powerful. He's very important. So to spend the next 40 minutes uh, just hyping Jesus up and talking about how great he is won't alone lead us to greater maturity and intimacy with Jesus in our daily lives. So the big idea here is very simple. Jesus is superior. That's it. And the question that I want us to, to walk away with is not a hard one either. Is Jesus central in your heart, in your mind, and in all of your strength? So with this big idea of Jesus being superior to all else, to Jesus being the center of our lives, I want us to read this scripture again. He is the image of God, the invisible, yeah, image of God, the invisible one, firstborn of all of creation. For by him all things were created, in the heavens and on earth, things we can see and things we cannot, thrones, dominions, and rulers and powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is ahead prior to all else, and in him all things hold together. And he himself is supreme, the head, over the body, the church. He is the start of it all, firstborn from the realms of the dead. For in him, all the fullness of God was glad to dwell. And through him to reconcile all to himself, making peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, things on earth, and also the things in the heavens. So Jesus is supreme. He is at the center of creation and redemption. But often, the busyness, let alone the chaos and noise that we experience, uh, interrupt as we try to live and love. Group after Chandra's Rama, it's our significant decline in May. 
Mexico's midterm elections took a bloody turn as voters saw severed heads, grenades, and more at voting stations Sunday, the American adults who don't plan to get the COVID-19 vaccine, 78% say they're unlikely or definitely won't change their minds moving down from the fires. A poll conducted May 18th through 23rd among U.S. adults found 64% of respondents were either fully or partially vaccinated, in line with 63.5% of U.S. adults at Centers of Disease Control and Prevention reports have gotten at least one shot, 12% plan to get the vaccine, and 24% plan to get the vaccine. Of the 24% who say they don't plan to get it, 78% say they're unlikely to change their mind, and 51% who are not likely at all were persuaded approximately one in five vaccine hesitant respondents could be persuaded. However, 2% say they're very likely to change their mind. He was apprehended. 19% say they're somewhat likely to change it, which Gallup calculates as equivalent to 5% of all U.S. adults. Vaccine hesitancy has become a major issue in the U.S. as vaccine supplies outstrip demand and vaccine rates slow down. The administration has declared June a national month of action to spur more people to get the shot ahead of July 4th. And states have been offering a wide array of vaccine incentives. Taxes may soon be going up for wealthy. President Biden aims to fund expanded education, child care, paid leave, and other reforms by collecting more tax revenue from Americans who make more than $400,000 a year. He would do so by raising the top income capital gains tax rates, changing the taxation of wealthy to stay the same, closing so-called tax loopholes, and focusing audits of the rich to prevent tax evasion. All told, the American family's plan would raise $1.5 trillion over a decade, taxing the highest earners, according to the White House. There's a difference between knowing Jesus is supreme in your head, agreeing with that, and knowing Jesus supreme in your heart, present in your life, your desires, <laughs> your stresses. From the chaos in our life that we can <laughs> barely make out sometimes, but we know that is present, that just seems like it won't stop. And when we're just asking, when is it, when are we going to get moving along here? Like bring back that Jesus stuff. <laughs> we rob ourselves. I mean, we rob the gospel when we let it become nothing more than a set of ideas. The gospel of Jesus' resurrection, his restoring of all things, including us, his reign as king over all things right now is the reality in which we live. So this morning, our goal is to engage with this reality, to expose the distractions that clamor for attention and destabilize Jesus at the center of our lives. So the first thing we're going to do together is an ancient Christian practice called breath prayer. So we're going to spend some time actually doing this. We're going to slow down um, and center ourselves with Jesus using the natural rhythm of our lungs, using the gift of the very breath that we breathe. So we're going to do this at your own pace. Um, I want you to, you can have your eyes closed, eyes open, whatever you want, but I want you to pay attention to your breathing, to your breath. And then when you inhale, oh man, if only you could hear the inhale. So when you inhale, I want you to, to prayerfully meditate, to pray, Lord Jesus, have mercy on our inhale and exhale.
He is the image of God, the invisible one, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, and in, in the heavens and on earth, things we can see and things we cannot, thrones and dominions, rulers and powers, and all things were created through him and for him. And he is ahead prior to all else, and in him all things hold together. And he himself is supreme, the head, over the body, the church. He is the start of it all, firstborn from the realms of the dead, for in him all the fullness of God was glad to dwell, and through him to reconcile all to himself, making peace through the blood of his cross, through him the things on earth and also the things in heaven. So most of us have experienced our breath changing uh, when we encounter a sudden disturbance. Uh, imagine, or sometimes it can bounce back fairly quickly and everything resolves. So, uh, and it's a few seconds at most. So suppose you drop your keys while you're crossing uh, the street and a car pulls in front of you, you have your hands full of stuff, your breath will most likely change. Now. This potentially isn't a problem. It might even be just a minor inconvenience. Recovery is just gonna take a little bit longer though if that driver blares on their horn or maybe they make a provocative comment. Maybe you spill your coffee from the table at all of your work documents. The, with this big surge of adrenaline, blood rushes through your large muscles to activate a response. Now, when that happens, your eyes dilate to process the scene, inflammation prepares the uh, body to respond to injury, pain tolerance increases, digestion and immunity stop to uh, uh, stink and move stuff around so that your body can work together for greater awareness. The automatic nervous system triggers all of these responses in a flash. See, nothing is thought out. It just simply happens. We sense there's an emergency far beyond the proportions of a blaring horn, a painful comment, or ruined work. Then if you add any prior trauma to this experience or the effects of systematic sexism or racism, post-traumatic stress kicks in and the dropping of keys is not just the, just the tip of the iceberg. See, our bodies are incredible created with such elaborate systems to work together to function. <laughs> Not just to function, but to live. So we can't stop breathing, which is very good for us, but in many more ways than one is that benefit. Because we can't stop stress either. We can't control this consumer culture that invests billions of dollars in advertising that develops crazy sophisticated AI just to keep our attention. We can't slow that down. But what we can do is recognize lies. We can understand our own behavior when we're unhealthy, when we're tired, when we're hangry. So this research on voluntary regulated breathing practices uh, indicates that this is uh, helpful. In one study, breathing practices involved stress, uh, involving stressful situations uh, led to, quote, to correct imbalances of the stress response systems 
that are partially useful with those who have experienced um, symptoms of anxiety, insomnia, depression, stress, and trauma-related disorders, ADHD, schizophrenia, substance abuse. So this intentional breathing interrupts that feedback loop that perpetrates the trauma, returning the nervous system to harmony. So while the science and all that measures of health are related to breathing, this ancient Christian prayer involves belief in Jesus as our divine healer. This creator is also our redeemer. So this breathing new life into us through the Holy Spirit. So this spiritual practice of breath prayer provides us with a conscious avenue, um, conscious avenue to partner with God. So in this healing process of emotional and spiritual wounds, in an act of faith, we can breathe with the spirit towards new life. So you may be thinking, why complicate things? Why can't we just uh, breathe as our own and just pray? But of course, we don't often uh, like practice this prayer as much as we think we do. And often we don't find the words that we need to say. I feel like that's one of the beauties of breath prayer is that there's very little words. It's just time with God, and the only thing you focus on is free, freeing yourself from distractions. So the simple practice of breath prayer isn't the best new thing in prayer, like it's called ancient for a reason. It certainly shouldn't be the only way that you pray, but it can bring calm and spiritual awareness of God's healing power into the emotionally fraught world of uh, prior distress and trauma. So they always say practice makes perfect. So let's engage with this practice yet again, slowing our minds and our body enough that we can refocus on what the reality really is. It's the image of God, the invisible one, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in the heavens and on the earth. Things we can see and things we cannot, thrones and dominions, rulers and powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is ahead prior to all else. And in him all things hold together. And he himself is supreme the head over the body, the church. He is the start of it all, the firstborn from the realms of the dead. For in him all the fullness of God was glad to dwell, and through him to reconcile all to himself, 
making peace through the blood of his cross. For through him, the things on earth and also the things in heaven. So I adapted uh, the prayer that comes right before this in Colossians. Um, So would you pray this with me? I continually ask you, God, to fill journey with the knowledge of your will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that this church may live a life worthy of the Lord and please you in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might that we may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to you, Father, who have qualified us, yes, us, to share in the inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of light. For you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your son and you love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So Journey, my hope is that we become something more than a group of folks who drink coffee and sing songs on a Sunday morning. Christianity isn't a particular way of being religious. It isn't uh, a system for how to be saved now or later. It isn't a different way of holiness. Christianity is all about Jesus. We need scriptures like Colossians 1, 15 through 20 in our lives because it's all too easy to lose focus. And here, in this place, our focus is Jesus. So this scripture should be ringing through your ears, not only because we've read it like four times this morning, but because we desire to align our stressful and distracted lives back into the reality that Jesus is superior to anything and everything else. So before we dig into the content of this passage, I'd like us all to stand and read this together. He is the image of God, the invisible one, firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in the heavens and on earth, things we can see and things we cannot, thrones and dominions, rulers and powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is a head prior to all else, and in him all things hold together. He himself is supreme, the head over the body of the church. He is the start of it all, firstborn from the realms of the dead. For in him all the fullness of God was gathered, and through him to reconcile all to himself, making peace through the blood of his cross. Through him things on earth and also the So, you may be seated, but you might want to buckle up because it's time to get nerdy. (laughs) Uh, This passage is really cool um, for nerds like me because it's a poem. Um, In my Bible that I had, it's uh, hard to tell because it's formatted all in one single paragraph. Um, It looked like this. So, that was the whole thing. Um, It's hard to tell what's really going on there. It's just a mass of really great words um, about Jesus. 
but when we format it like this, it's much easier to see what the author's doing here. Um, it's easier to see that artistic nature and really the beauty of it. When we understand, understand style, it helps us understand the content. So let's take a look at these key words. So we've got the, sorry. So in the, the key words of the passage are the image, the firstborn, being ahead, all things in him, in Jesus, was said like a ton of times. The head, he is the beginning, the firstborn, the superior. So these aren't just random adjectives, I think, adverb, no, adjectives, to describe Jesus um, that Paul is just picking from thin air. All of these words are different ways of talking about the Hebrew idea of headship, of being the head. So he's coming up with all of these different associations and throwing them together in this beautiful poem talking about Jesus himself. So all these different aspects, yeah, that Hebrew idea. And this big idea of Colossians and this poem uh, is that who and what Jesus is, is that Jesus is supreme. Now, we're going to see this over and over. It's no surprise that that's what the theme of the whole uh, little series is. So now that we've kind of seen that Jesus is the big idea um, and that Jesus is the head, we want to put kind of the meat back on and look at the, what's surrounding each of those identifiers as Jesus as supreme. So the poem starts off with this bold claim that by looking at Jesus, we get to discover who God is. So this is absolutely fundamental as the basis for every bit of theology we hold. So the word theology, most simply defined, is what we think about God. So uh, there's lots of different ologies out there, and most of them uh, explicitly with, um, like, in the church and Jesus world, and most of, the, most of them come with a Greek root word, and a lot of them are very difficult to pronounce um, because they basically just take the Greek word for here, it's theos, which is God, and then tack on the um, ology on there, and then that's what the study of or the ideas that we have about this thing are. So this happens all the time. All of us have a theology, whether it's a good theology or a bad, um, all of us have theology. Another example is ecclesiology. So again, these words are getting a little hard to pronounce. So it comes from the Greek word ekklesia. So it's what we think and what we believe about the church. Another one is eschatology. That's a fun one. Um, it, the Greek word is eschatos, which is last. So this um, eschatology is the idea of the last days or when Jesus returns. Again, you can have good theology about that. You can have bad theology about that. Um, but what Paul is saying here is that every bit of theology and what we understand about God needs to be first looked through the frame of Jesus. But... Like we said, we, there's, everyone has a theology. There's good ones and there's bad ones. But what makes a theology good or bad? I'm sure we would be quick to run to our scriptures, as any good Protestants would, um, and say, like, sola scriptura or scripture alone, right? Or may, we may even stand by more recent church history, being the Restoration Movement. 
So a little fun fact for you that the Restoration Movement was a movement that started like in the 1800s that led to Journey Christian Church. In 1926, there was a revival in Wayne, which gave birth to this church that we're in today. So it was this Restoration Movement, and their big motto, or one of them, was to restore the New Testament church, to turn to our scriptures alone and let that be what guides us, which is good stuff. And I don't want you to hear me wrong. We need to honor and seek wisdom through our scriptures. But how many of us here have been wounded by someone in the church um, who has used scriptures as a weapon? Now, if that's you today, I, I want to just kind of pause the whole sermon and just ask, as a, a body of the church, I want to ask you for forgiveness um, and just say that we are sorry. Um, and I can only ask that you um, forgive not only um, that person, but also the church. Um, because, man, oftentimes we may have the best intentions we may reason ourselves into a firm conviction about something, um, and we may feel that we are so right. But if our theology, if our thoughts about church ecclesiology, if our thoughts about crazy stuff like the end of the our world or any of that, good or bad, as firmly as we believe it or not, we need to let that be centered and looked really hard at through the lens of Jesus. Now, I don't think that this idea of looking at something through the lens of Jesus stops with um, churchy things or theology stuff. I mean, call me crazy, but I think we should use this lens of looking at uh, Jesus' perspective and just looking at Jesus in all of our different interactions. Like in business, what would Jesus prioritize? On the farm, how does Jesus respond when the pulley breaks again? when all of these different aspects in our lives, we need not to just ask, what would Jesus do? But we need to sit and ponder Jesus himself in these situations because he is in us. Just as this poem says all the time, Jesus is in all things. And the fun thing is, is that if we take a good hard look at Jesus, so I, I'm talking spending time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels in which the story of Jesus himself is just sitting there. We need to sit with those stories and soak in them. We need to be people who just know Jesus well. Because as we see Jesus, we see that this God is a God of utter and self-giving love. So this poem doesn't just expand on the idea that Jesus is the start of it all. The second big idea is that Jesus holds together the old world and the new. Creation and new creation. So attempting theology can say that, uh, the, can say that salvation and redemption on offer in Christianity is described as if the old world the just ordinary world of creation that we live in um, is worthless, or even worse than worthless, that the world is evil. Um, now, the other idea, recognizing that 
that won't do, sees the beauty and the power of things in the world, but also can see the, the evil and the bitterness and the pain as well. So then the response there is that the, the evil and the, the pain, the brokenness, just isn't as important. But getting that balance right is very difficult. As I'm sure most of us know, in our ordinary lives, trying to find that balance is hard. But the thing is, this poem does it brilliantly. So Jesus is the one through whom and for whom creation was made in the first place. But it's also full of ugliness and evil. But that is summed up in death itself. So we are often quick in to say that sin is here, but that wasn't the way it was meant to be. Now, as we should, but the living God has now acted to heal the world of the wickedness and corruption which have so radically infected it. And it has done, and the Lord has done it through whom and for whom it was created in the first place. So this is the cool thing about poetry that I want us to get. The form itself communicates the message. See, this poem is balanced. The Jesus through whom the world was made in the first place, the, the first part he's of this passage, that Jesus um, is the same one through whom the world has now been redeemed. He is the firstborn of creation and the firstborn of the dead. That's what, that, what they're talking about there. And this poem brings it home, as I'm sure many of you are ready for me to as well with attention to the church. At the heart of this poem, we see Jesus presented as the blueprint for genuine humanness, which is on offer through the gospel. As the head of the body, the church, the, the first to rise from the dead, Je uh, yeah, the first one through whose cruel death God has dealt with our sins and brought us peace and reconciliation above all this one through whom the whole new creation has begun. So in all these ways, Jesus is himself the one in whom, all right, we are called to discover what it means to be human in the first place. So, so often we settle for second best in our human lives. To become off-center, swept up by the chaos around us, that's that second best thing. Jesus calls us to experience genuine human life. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls it abundant life. Now, there's so much we can dig and piece together um, and discover in this poem. And doing so will only draw us closer to God. I actually encourage you to spend time meditating, memorizing, like we're, shoot, you might even be close to having it memorized by now but prioritize that time with Jesus. So we're going to listen to this passage one more time. He is the image of God, the invisible one, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in the heavens and on earth, things we can see and things we cannot, thrones and dominions, rulers and powers, all things were created through him, and for him and he is ahead prior to all else and in him all things hold together 
and he himself is supreme, the head, over the body, the church. He is the start of it all, the firstborn from realms of the dead, for in him all the fullness of God was glad to dwell, and through him to reconcile all to himself, making peace through the blood of his cross. For through him, things on earth and also the things in heaven. And continuing, you were once alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish or free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, which I, Paul, have become a servant. I feel like Paul's continuation of that poem is a very big you are here moment. Uh, The reality that scripture makes clear is that Jesus is at the center of creation and new creation. That Jesus is superior to any other power or prize we admire. And he encourages the Colossians to take this you are here moment and to simply not think, yep, knew that, that sounds good. But to see Jesus high and lifted up, Jesus shining in the light of his glory, and to seriously not just sit there and think like, pour out your power in love, but to move on and to see that Jesus in our life, to see Jesus holy and present with us, to continually be made new and to live in this new creation as new creations like Romans 12 says about us. So journey, don't let the reality of Jesus be a good idea that you have. Weed out the distractions and the noise Because it takes effort to be consumed by love in a consumer culture that begs for our retention and our reality. So let's pray. Jesus, we're grateful uh, for the love that you have on us. Not just a love that allows us to think uh, the right thoughts and to do the right things, but a, a love that we can know, a love that we can feel and a love that truly transforms. So Jesus, I pray that this uh, church would be a transformed place, that we would be a people who are continually being, uh, continually seeking wholeness and the restoration of all things as you are yourself. We thank you for today, and we love you, Jesus. We need you more than we know. Amen.